0: Good morning, beautiful. Welcome back to the Self-Care Keto Podcast. I am your coach, Jess, bringing you a magical experience to help you release the weight from your body and your soul. Today, we're going to be talking about how to have more pleasure in your life and actually like your life. So last week on episode 120, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I really, really recommend that you do. It's a really passionate episode about the real reason to lose weight and just bottom line up front. The answer is because you like it because you want to, because you have sovereignty and you can do what pleases you. And if you're doing it for any other reason, then simply because you're curious and you love yourself enough to wonder how much better you could feel and to do it out of love for yourself and out of curiosity and out of optimization, instead of meeting any kind of deficit or lack in your life, which is really rooted in a lie, then you're probably not going to do it. And for a very good reason. And I shared a little bit last week about my first psychedelic experience back in November. I did psilocybin magic mushrooms while I was on a retreat in Portugal, and it was absolutely life-changing. And it sounds so simple, but so profound. But one of my biggest takeaways from that was actually that the greatest thing in life, like the reason we're here is to like our life, to enjoy our life. And, you know, it's, it sounds so simple. It's hard to really put into words, but I had a direct experience with how important this is. And how meaningful it is to actually like your life. And it really is the strongest driving force in our lives is pleasure, right? And it's not this like low base, you know, animalistic thing. It's actually so deeply human and divine and spiritual. It's everything. But pleasure is what we are wired for. And so why am I here talking on a podcast about weight loss and health, right? And self-care, of course, talking about why we need to have more pleasure in our lives. It's so interconnected. Basically, the work that I do with my clients, you can go back and listen to this in episode 118, five ways to heal your relationship with food. But it usually inevitably comes down to when I'm working with my clients in the things that are Causing the obstacles to them actually sticking to the strategies that they know will work so that they can get to their goals, so that they can get to their desired feelings. What are the things that are actually getting in the way? Usually, some type of a physical addiction to foods that are highly addictive, like sugar, processed foods, right? So, we got to get the physiological stuff taken care of. Nervous system dysregulation is another huge one. We are constantly in fight or flight, constantly in survival mode. Uh, never really present, always worrying about the next thing, right? And so nervous system dysregulation is a huge reason why we overeat um, or just eat eat to approach, um, eat for, eat for reasons that we're not hungry. Right. And a lot of times we think like, oh, it's emotional eating, but I promise you, you know, there are t- a lot of times when it's not even necessarily like, oh, he broke up with me or, oh, you know, I, I got into a fight with my husband or partner or the boss yelled at me or just whatever. It's not even like something conscious that we are able to trace it back to, it's just this, um, you know, constant driving force in our bodies to try to regulate our nervous systems. And that's why we find ourselves oftentimes eating at night, right? Um, Because finally, that's when we're actually taking the time for our nervous system to switch states and relax. And food is the kind of the switch that is helping us to be able to do that. But we need to regulate our nervous systems way more often than just at, you know, 8 o'clock at night when we're finally getting around to sitting down and taking a deep breath and having some food. So there's that, there's nervous system dysregulation, um, there's like just setting up our environment for success, right? Like non- none of us are stronger than our environment and the power of suggestion is very strong and just these kind of cues in our environment um, trigger something in us that is just an association of at this time, you know, I always sit down and watch TV and, and eat this type of snack, right? And so it's just habit change, right? That's so important. And it is changing our thoughts and rewiring our beliefs because a lot of times we are soothing with food and we're soothing just these, the pain of the nasty stories that we're telling ourselves, right? Um, That we are, we didn't make this stuff up. It's been taught to us, unfortunately, at a time in our lives and our childhood when we are so susceptible to uh, just believing everything that. You know, the authorities in our lives say to us, and I'm not saying that they were necessarily trying to be mean or abusive or anything, but said a lot of unhelpful things to us. And that's become the voice inside of our head. And that voice is just constantly um, criticizing us and causing this like low level, you know, constant wounding to ourselves. We're constantly hurting ourselves with our internal dialogue. And then we soothe that with food for sure. And so a lot of the work is changing our thoughts and rewiring our beliefs. Because a lot of us believe, what's the point? I'm never going to be able to actually do this. I've never been able to actually do it before. Um, you know, I'm just going to fail. Might as well protect myself from it. Um, whatever kind of belief that you have, like my, this is just my DNA, it's my destiny. Every person in my family is this way. I'm too weak. I'm too undisciplined. I'm too lazy. I'm too inconsistent. Whatever it is that you actually believe about yourself, that's an optional story and that can be changed. And so I do that with my clients. And then this is another huge one is meeting our unmet needs, right? And so what we're talking about today, having more pleasure in your life is falling underneath the umbrella of this whole thing of meeting our unmet needs. So pleasure is a need. It's a human need. It's not just nice to have. If it was just nice to have, then I promise you we would not be pursuing it (laughs) the way that we relentlessly pursue pleasure and avoid pain. In our lives, our brains are literally wired for this. And I look at that as such a beautiful gift. You know, you could probably look at it like, okay, well, that's just, you know, evolutionary psychology that our brains have adapted to approach pleasure and avoid pain for survival of the species or just whatever. And, you know, that's actually both can be true. You know, that totally is true. We wouldn't survive if um, food wasn't pleasurable. Uh, so that we would eat and <laughs> and grow stronger, and um, you know uh, our brains would evolve, and you know we would propagate the species. If, if I, we just stopped eating, we would starve to death, right? So of course, food is pleasurable for that reason to help us approach it. Sex is pleasurable to help us, you know, procreate, and all of these things. So that's just one way to look at it. But <laughs> a much more um, benevolent and I think fun way to look at it is that we're wired this way by our creator, by our source, because. Pleasure is awesome. Pleasure is part of being human and it is part of being divine. And it is essential. It's, it's an essential part of the human experience to experience pleasure and plenty of it. And our brains are wired for this. You know, uh, literally uh, dopamine is your pleasure chemical in your brain. And I, I promise you about 99% of probably everything that we do is to avoid pleasure and approach Uh, To avoid pain and approach pleasure to get that next dopamine hit. Every time you open up your phone, that's what it's for. Every time you eat, that's what it's for. You know, literally everything that we do. you know, we're we're working, you know, the meaningful work that we do and the money that we get so that we can buy things that we like, so that we can go places that we like, so that we can have experiences with our physical senses that we like, so that we can spend time with people that we like. You know, all of it is about pleasure and for good reason. And so food is so pleasurable and for many of us, I would even say most of us, it is one of the only pleasures that we are experiencing on a regular basis, and it is playing a substitute. That's a that's a lo- that's a big shoe to fill, right? To be the only source of pleasure in your life, and I hear so many of my clients tell me about it, and they say, "I just feel like my life isn't fun. My life is so boring. I've lost myself in my work. I've lost myself in motherhood. You know, I don't even know who I am anymore or what I like or what I enjoy. You know, except food." And so if you're listening today and you're like, oh my God, me too. I just want you to know that you're not alone and it can be altered, right? You are holding the pen of the story of your life. You can rewrite it. You can change it. And so that's what this episode is about. How to actually have more pleasure in your life and actually like your life, because that's the whole freaking point. So we're going to talk about five different types of pleasure today. So you might want to take notes. And actually I really recommend, you know, something that I do with my clients is I have them make a pleasure list or a joy list, a happiness list, whatever you want to call it, but to actually sit down and write down the things that bring you pleasure so that you can experience it more often. And also so that you learn that, oh yeah, I do find a lot of pleasure in a moment like that so that you can be more present with it when it's actually happening. And so that's how you get more of it too. It's not necessarily to schedule more of it on your calendar for it to take up more hours of your day, but for your focus to be more present with it when it is happening, you can expand that moment in time. And and have greater pleasure in your life simply by bringing more of your focus and attention to it instead of just like half-assing the pleasure. (laughs) Uh, That's what we're doing, right? Even food. like It's not even that freaking pleasurable. We're doing it to approach pleasure, but we're like so distracted while we're doing it and we're not even fully present with it. And so then we um, substitute quantity for quality, right? So we don't necessarily have to have more quantity even of the pleasurable things that you put on your list. And because that can feel really overwhelming. You're, you're just going to tell yourself, I don't have time to have more pleasure in my life. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, I'm, I'm not even saying that. Although certainly I do think it's possible for pleasure in your life to take up more time in our lives. Like it, it's doable, right? That's just a story that we're telling ourselves. But there's absolutely no reason why the, the time that you do have dedicated to pleasure in your life, that you can't be fully present with it. It's literally just a choice. It's a matter of putting down the phone. It's a matter of turning off the TV, eating in a different room, um, you know, whatever it is, like just be fully present with it and you will expand time and it will feel like more pleasure in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the five types of pleasure. So the first one is sensual pleasure, or we might also call it physical pleasure, pleasure that's coming from our five physical senses, seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, right? And so, I like to offer the word physical pleasure instead of sensual pleasure because I think a lot of us might be allergic to the word sensual. Um, I I was joking around with one of my clients about this because you know um, we both have this in common that we were kind of brought up in purity culture. I don't know if we have any you know other uh, evangelicals out there listening or former evangelicals out there listening, but you if you know you know. Um, and basically, you kind of taught like, oh well sensuality is dangerously close to sexuality <laughs> and you know we can't have that because that would be wrong or bad or dirty or whatever um but so let's just you know if you're allergic to that word sensual or it makes you squeamish or queasy or just whatever it makes you want to um <laughs> you can call it physical pleasure so again this is like pleasure in your body which is so good so good we're wired for this right to take in pleasure from what we see, smell, hear, taste, and touch. And so let's, let's talk about that, right? So let's start here because this is the most surface level of pleasure and some of the, um, these other types of pleasure are a little bit um, more subtle, right? But you can um, really feel physical pleasure. So what you're seeing around you is really important to take in beauty, Maybe you find it in nature. Maybe you notice it by actually looking at your kids. I tell my daughter every day how beautiful she is. And I don't say it out of, um, you know, just to build up her confidence or, um, because it's important to do it. So I've tried to form a habit of it or whatever. Like I literally look at her deeply every morning when she comes out first thing in the morning out of her room, I'm usually up before her and I put down my phone And we just snuggle and I look at her, I look at her in the eyes. I listen to whatever it is that she wants to tell me. I look at her little smile with her little baby teeth. And I look at her little, you know, nighttime hair and her pajamas. And I just, every morning I tell her, you are so beautiful. And I mean it from my soul, like looking at something so beautiful in your kids or your partner or just in decorating your house. Like that's one thing that has made me so much happier is I finally decorated my house, like within the last probably two years. And I have lived here for seven years. And I used to just tell myself that I didn't want to... Um, you know, be fickle or make the wrong decorating decisions or just whatever. But the, the truth of the matter is that I was just constantly stressed and stuck in fight or flight and couldn't sit down to actually take the time to make any of those decisions. And now my home is decorated beautifully and I love every room that I walk into. I love my curtains. I love my artwork. I love that I got my living room painted. I love, I love all of the, the beauty that I see around me in my house. I love the decor. I love my bedspread. You know, like I love the clothes that I wear. Like I like how they look. So certainly, you know, thinking about the things that you see, the smell, same thing. I love, love using essential oils, candles. Um, I try to choose all things that are very (laughs) non-toxic, but yeah, like smells are important. The smell of me cooking food for my family, you know, like just actually paying attention to it is something that we don't do very often. What you hear, you know, your kids laughing the funny TV show that you and your spouse are watching together or good music, like, or, um, you know, just hearing yourself repeat an affirmation and actually being present with it. There's so many different ways, listening to the birds outside, listening to the ocean tides, like whatever it is, the rain falling on the roof, the pleasure that comes from actually being present with what you hear taste. Of course, this encompasses food. Of course, you know, um, beverages, you know, like actually being present with it. When's the last time you actually were present with that first sip of your morning coffee? I try to do it every single day. I try to not pick up my phone. Like, nope, I'm not going to pick up my phone yet. (laughs) I'm going to sit here and feel this hot coffee mug in my hands and savor that first sip. And every morning I say out loud to myself, this is so good. (laughs) Say it out loud, be present with it. no, it's not for anybody else but you, but you're amplifying your pleasure and you're being fully present with something in your life to actually like it. let yourself like it. It helps you like it even more and touch, of course, of course, absolutely we'd be remiss not to talk about sexual touch. It is important. it is important, whether with a partner or solo, your body is built for it, and it's a human need, right and so, but if it's neglected if any of these senses are neglected then we're very likely to substitute taste pleasure from food for the rest of these things and for how many of us is food having to play a really big role because we're simply either not getting pleasure from these other areas or we're just not noticing it we're not being present with it right but touch goes beyond just sexual touch it's you know snuggling with your kids it's holding hands with somebody that you love It's the feel of good material clothing on your body and, like, actually noticing how it feels. A cozy blanket, um, hot water, a hot bath on you, or the hot shower on you. Like, actually just noticing all of these things. So we're talking about making a list. I want you to, like, start here with, number one, sensual, physical pleasure. What are the things that actually bring you pleasure from your five senses? And to make a list of it. And remember, the whole... um, driving point here is to be present with it, not distracted. Otherwise you will substitute quantity for quality for sure. And we, we know how, um, I guess maladaptive that can be with food, right? Like that's, that's a big reason why so many of us are overeating is because we're substituting quantity for quality. If we were actually present with two squares of dark chocolate, right? (laughs) What, what could that potentially save us in all the rest that we are just taking in, you know? Yeah. So number two is, um, intimacy, intimacy in relationships. And, you know, I kind of touched on this at the beginning, um, talking about nervous system regulation, And I want to just rewind for just a second and kind of preface the rest of this conversation and even go back to hopefully kind of in retrospect, preface number one, um, which is the sensual physical pleasure. Nervous system regulation is so important for you to actually be present. And a lot of us are really struggling with this. Like probably what I'm saying, you know, be more present with stuff. Like you're like, I can't, I, I don't know how it's really, really hard for me. And I just want to take a second and say, I understand, um, and it's so important. And there are ways to actually learn to regulate your nervous system. And for whatever reason, our nervous systems are dysregulated. It could just be because of chronic stress. It could be because of growing up with trauma. For me, it was both. Um, you know, there's this scale called adverse childhood experiences. You could go look it up. Um, and I had like nine out of 10 on that list. (laughs) And so, you know, you can go look up your own, um, if you would find it to be helpful or just you know maybe an exercise in extending some more self-compassion to yourself. But if you have had a lot of adverse childhood experiences, then you were growing up in a setting where you probably felt very unsafe. And so it became very adaptive for you to have your nervous system kind of get stuck in this constant um, fight or flight and hypervigilance and not feeling like you really can calm down and relax because you don't know when the next potential danger is coming and maybe that's something that you've never even thought about. And you're like, whoa, like literally realizing it in this moment. Um, but I just want to extend compassion to you as well, that I, I totally get that. And I feel like I lived most of my life in that state without even realizing it. Um, and so it was always very hard for me to be present. Um, I, have, I would have a hard time sitting still. I would always get up and try to move on to do the next productive thing, the next chore, cleaning something. There was always a speck of dirt on the floor that I needed to pick up. Um, just anything to keep myself busy and not just be present in the moment was something that I was doing constantly without even realizing it. And it was completely due to a dysregulated nervous system. And also for a long time, I was living a lifestyle where I was keeping myself so ridiculously busy. Um, workaholism was a coping mechanism of choice for me. Um, and that pretty much started from the time that I was maybe 12 or 13 years old. Um, one of the ways was because it got me the hell out of my house. And so I had two jobs throughout all of high school and it, you know, it just becomes a habit and you just don't even think about it. And so even though my, my, um, job only required 40 hours of working from me and nobody was making me work 60 hours, I was working 60 hours, you know, and not getting paid for it. Um, certainly maybe getting praise for it, but Yeah. And so there's a lot of reasons why we do this, but why I come back to this is because you really cannot experience real pleasure without first having a sense of safety. And, you know, you could think about this in terms of sex, right? Like if you don't feel safe in the sexual experience, you're not going to be able to um, surrender and be fully present in the moment and guaranteed you're not going to experience at least the full measure of pleasure that you could possibly get from that experience. It's only when you feel safe that you can experience full, true, deep pleasure, the full extent of pleasure that's available. And the same thing is true in all of these you know, areas that we're gonna be talking about. So if you don't feel safe, um, it's going to blunt the amount of pleasure that you can receive in your life. And so how do you feel more safe? Certainly, we there are ways to think about creating safer circumstances in your life. And I know for some people, it, literally it is, um, you know, the... Life-threatening, or you're you're living in an unsafe living condition, right? But for many of us, that's we can't necessarily say that. But but to our nervous system, it feels that way. Maybe maybe that's what it was at one time, and your your nervous system is just stuck there, right? That's what it was for me. And so there are ways to actually kind of retrain your nervous system, and I would encourage you to go back um, a few episodes. Gosh, it's it's a ways back, um, but it is called when um, mindset work doesn't work, and it's about somatic, um, somatic ways to really um, somatic means like body based, but ways to actually prevent yourself from emotionally eating but, or um, interrupting a binge. It's episode 106. It's called Emotional Eating When Mindset Work Doesn't Work. And that really kicks off the whole emotional eating series. But the reason why I started with that is because um, nervous system dysregulation often gets confused with emotional eating, but it's not. Um, it's It's your body trying to switch nervous system states by stimulating your vagus nerve, which is the main nerve in your nervous system. And it runs all the way from the base of your brain all the way down to the base of your spine. And so one of the ways to stimulate it to actually help you to switch nervous system states is to um, stimulate your throat. And so eating um, stimulates the vagus nerve and it helps you to switch nervous system states from this fight or flight amped up and down into the rest and digest. Literally eating switches you over into a digestion state. And that is what that purpose is serving. And there are other ways to do it, right? And so there's so many ways to do it. There's, you know, connecting in nature, uh, putting your feet on the ground, going for a walk, some deep breathing, um, splashing cold water on your face or taking a cold shower, same thing with hot water, um, just anything that that stimulates your physical senses, moving your body, shaking your body. So go back and listen to that episode 106, because there's so many different techniques that you can do. And don't just do this when you are activated. You, you got to do this every day. It brings you down from like living at like a six down to like living at like a four or a three in terms of like being activated in your nervous system. And that has so much value because then, you know, the threshold, let's say, just say that your threshold for like, you know, doing something maybe maladaptive is like an eight. Like when you get to an eight, you're like, oh, you just feel like the overwhelming need to eat or to binge or whatever. And so if you can bring yourself down from like daily living at six to daily living at four, then you've just, you know, given yourself a lot more wiggle room before you get to an eight right? So it has so much value to practice some of these things on a regular basis. I walk on a regular basis out in the sunshine. Like it's just such a big bang for your buck to, to do something like that. Um, and to practice other somatic techniques that can really help you. So I just wanted to circle back to that whole nervous system regulation. Um, and also kind of the chemical side of that is like your stress hormone cortisol, it literally blocks dopamine. That's your pleasure, pleasure chemical. So if you have high cortisol constantly or too low of cortisol, which is another thing that can happen from chronic stress, it can really inhibit the fullness of you receiving pleasure because it messes with your dopamine chemical. That's your pleasure chemical in your brain. So I just wanted to kind of you know interject that there because I think it's really, really important to remember um, that really to have full pleasure, you have to be present. And to be fully present, you have to feel safe and distraction and leaving our body mentally like leaving our body um is something that we do as a protective mechanism maybe you needed to do that because of things that you were going through in your life where your body was literally unsafe and so you learned to um you know some people call it dissociate um but I did that constantly you know and so if you're not even in your body Present with your physical senses because that has served you to learn how to do that. Then you're not going to be able to experience the full range of pleasure. But I promise you that you can heal. You you can actually begin to heal the nervous system dysregulation by working on some of these somatic techniques, as well as you know I definitely recommend you know talking to somebody, talking to somebody um, experiencing empathy. Um, the healing presence of another person, working through some of those past traumas, whether they're capital T trauma, lowercase t trauma, it's very important. And I found a ton of healing and was able to make so much progress in regulating my nervous system. Even before I did my experience with magic mushrooms, which that, oh my God, it like, you know, I've never felt safer in my body since then. I haven't felt one single incidence of shame. Since then, which is a very feeling in your body. You know it, you get all those feelings in your body. Your face gets hot, your chest gets tight, you get that knot in your stomach. Like, shame is a very physical feeling, isn't it? And I haven't felt that one single time in the last three months. But I don't want to sit here and say, like, oh, the only hope is to go out and do, you know, psychedelics. Like, no, I I found a ton of healing through trauma therapy, through learning nervous system regulation techniques. And it really helped me to be so much happier and have so much pleasure in my life because I was finally present for the pleasure. Okay. So, so far we've talked about just the first type of pleasure, the the sensual and the physical pleasure, right? Um, And number two is intimacy and relationships. And so to really have this intimacy and relationships, there has to be um, real love and trust and acceptance. And another thing I want to mention here is authenticity. So how many of us, you know, don't really actually feel pleasure in our relationships because we don't feel safe to be ourselves? And maybe we don't feel safe to be ourselves, not because of something that the other person is creating, right? That might be true. Maybe like you've literally been rejected by this person that you are in relationship with, or maybe there's just that constant fear of that you will be rejected if you're your full self um, because of past experiences, right? And so I've experienced both of those things. So, again, you know, if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be able to experience the full range of pleasure. So how do you feel safer to be more authentic? Again, definitely it's the nervous system regulation. Um, but it's, it's beginning to, um, when you do start to feel a little bit unsafe in the relationship, again, hopefully it's not because of something that the other person is truly creating. Um, maybe you're just time traveling as they say. Um, but it is to practice some of these nervous system techniques and to take lots of breaks for yourself like that's one of the biggest things that I learned is like okay well if my husband and I are getting into you know an argument and it's starting to escalate we both learned to start taking breaks from that. Literally like the some of the um marriage counselors that we were working with were trauma informed. They were like what's your heart rate right now? Like what? I had never thought to think to think about that. But like you know a lot of us are wearing a smartwatch. Look at your heart rate and then I would go outside and I would put my bare bare hands on the grass, take some deep breaths, whatever. And until my heart rate would come back down, we wouldn't return to the conversation. And so that's so important. And then authenticity, you know, I realized that there were a lot of relationships that I was in where at one point it was serving this older version of me um, with a lot different beliefs, right? And I knew for a fact that some of the ways in which I had changed and evolved, Um, were not welcome. Those new beliefs were not welcome in the context of the relationship. And for a long time, I kind of kept it to myself to keep myself safe, right? I didn't want to experience the pain of rejection. Um, I didn't want to put myself in that uncomfortable feeling of knowing how the other person must be um, judging me or maybe I'm making them uncomfortable or whatever it might be. And I started to, over time, just realize this is a huge waste of time, you know, for, for both people in the relationship, like, because we're just kind of pretending here. There's a lot of things that we are, um, it's like these little, like, minds that we're trying to avoid stepping on in the conversation, and so we're keeping things really, really surface level because of the kind of the elephant in the room, which is, um, I guess my my beliefs are, feel threatening, you know, like literally threatening to the worldview of another person. And I, it took me a long time because what we do is we kind of rely on nostalgia, right? And it's sad because it's a grieving process, right? Like to actually realize this is the way that it is. Um, This is what I mean by acceptance as well. Um, But to fully accept um, that this other person sees things so fundamentally different. And for me to continue to talk about how I see things differently is, um, it's not even about protecting myself. It's about really, it's not being loving to the other person. And so here I am now in this position where, um, I can't fully be myself without feeling like maybe I'm not actually being truly loving to the other person because I know how much it must put their nervous system (laughs) on like, you know, full blast to talk about some of these things that are now so important to me to, to talk about. And it's not serving either of us. And so that is so freaking hard it's really, really hard. Um, But there was no real intimacy there and no real safety there. And so I started finally to make new friends. And this is so hard to do as an adult. Um, So hard, right? Like I had to like ask people out on friendship dates, (laughs) you know? Um, But I totally did. And, you know, now I have some friendships here that like have been really amazing for like the last year and a half. I I have like a new best friend in my life. I'm so grateful for her. And I have several other friends um, that all of them started with me inviting them out. Hey, I think you're really cool. Would you like to get some coffee sometime? Would you like to have lunch sometime? I'd like to get to know you better. Can I have your number? Like so freaking weird, you know, like in your mid thirties as an adult, like it's hard. Um, For a while I was on... um, the uh, Bumble app for friendships. Um, I didn't really find any, you know, real friendships out of that, except for like one super cool girl that I met down in Florida and we talk over WhatsApp. I don't even know how that happened because it's supposed to match you with people in your area. But one time I was in Florida <laughs> on vacation and it matched me with her and I was looking at her profile. I was like, what? Who is this? this? is like my soulmate friend. And I was like, oh my God, it's because she lives in Florida. How funny. But it was totally like a universe thing, but we still stay in touch. But anyway, you know, Mean uh, intimacy in relationships is so, so, so important. And you're not going to get real pleasure out of those relationships um, as long as you cannot have real authenticity, right? And so just the freedom to be yourself and to be adored for exactly who you are, not for this watered down version of you, this very curated version of you. Yeah. You deserve so much more than that. And so does anyone who's in relationship with you, right? And gosh, I am not dismissing how hard it is, how scary it is, and the amount of grief that is involved. But if you are continuing to spend all of your time with people who don't adore you for exactly who you are, then you don't have time to find the people who will adore you for exactly who you are. So I went through a period of time for sure where I didn't have you know like there i just wasn't hanging out with a lot of people and it did feel lonely um but i i i did have faith and and hold on to and you know try to imagine the future version of me that would be finding those people and putting myself out there going to new things new activities actually talking to the people that were there actually asking for people's phone numbers like hard hard to do so worth it i can't emphasize to you how much this has changed the amount of pleasure that's in my life, the amount of quality that's in my life. And they've done these huge long-term, you know, 50-year studies on happiness and relationships are one of the biggest contributing factors to our level of happiness in our lives. Okay. So that's number two, intimacy and relationships. Number three thing that brings you pleasure in life is meaningful work or activity. And the reason why I say or activity is because I don't want everyone to assume that they have to have, um, that work means like the job that you do, where you earn your income from. Certainly that's ideal, right? That we would derive meaning from our source of income and, you know, but not everybody necessarily is doing like their dream job, right? But we can still totally have meaningful activity. So something that you believe in, that makes the world a better place for others is meaningful work or activity and that you're spending some time doing this, that you're dedicating your, um, your talents and your gifts and your time to doing this. And this is a huge driving factor for happiness and pleasure. And in fact, a lot of like the, the Greek philosophers, you know, said that this is like the only real true source of happiness is meaning meaningful work, um, growth, meaning, Um, and so kind of neglected some of the other levels of pleasure, especially like sensual and physical pleasure and kind of like dismissed those as not, um, being as important. Right. But I I disagree. I couldn't disagree more. I actually think, you know, starting with (laughs) sensual physical pleasure is the most important place to start, especially if you're trying to heal your relationship with food, because it has to kind of, um, scratch the same itch. Right. Okay. So something that you believe in that makes the world a better place for others, meaningful work or activity. Remember, the big thing here is that you are the one creating the meaning. If it's meaningful to you, who cares what it is for anybody else? And so, so many of us are not allowing ourselves to experience meaning from it because we're trying to judge it by some external standard of meaningful work, right? It's not good enough is what you're telling yourself. Like, no, like you... You letting somebody get in front of you in line or somebody come get into traffic or stopping to give somebody directions or helping somebody bring groceries to their car or, you know, literally like any kind of random act of kindness is meaningful work or activity. It could be like a one-off. It doesn't have to be the thing that like, you don't have to find your thing, right? It could just be a bunch of little moments that add up and the the commitment and the dedication that you have to doing that is meaningful work or activity, and also, you know, in regards to this whole thing of you're the one that assigns the meaning, like, yes, this is your world. You are, you are the one living in your world. So you get to decide the meaning. Not Don't Google, you know, meaningful work. Don't ask somebody else, like, what's meaningful work that I could do? Like, if it inspires you, sure. Only if it in terms of like, oh, yeah, I do find that to be really meaningful. But like, remember that you are the one deciding what you like. You don't have to, you know, be an activist If that's not something that you really want to do just because other people say, oh, that's the most meaningful work that you can do is being an activist. Or, oh, the most meaningful work that you can do is becoming a parent. But other people, maybe you don't want to become a parent. You know, like certainly for me, that's one of the most meaningful things in my life. But I would never presume to tell somebody that, you know, if they want meaning in their lives that they need to become a parent, right? So it is totally subjective. You're the one who gets to decide what this is. And then um, gratitude is another way that you experience your meaningful work or activity. So, having some type of a gratitude practice, meaning just a dedicated time. It could be once daily, once daily, twice daily. Some people do it in the morning and before they go to bed at night. Um, some people do it once a week. I try to do it every morning, and then at least once a week, I do like a weekly review as well, and I go back through the last twenty-four hours when I'm doing this in the morning, I look back at the last 24 hours of my planner. Um, and I'll be, what did I do yesterday? You know, like, and I'll think I'll kind of like do a mental accounting of the day and write down the little moments where I was really, really thankful for that because it had meaning to me. You know, like one small example is like, you know, I had to take my daughter to the doctor, like at like 8am on a Wednesday. And, you know, I, realized that I was so grateful for that and that that was meaningful activity to me because I have arranged my life in such a way that that's not even difficult for me to do anymore. Like, and I'm so proud of that because I wanted, you know, to become a coach, obviously, because it's the the most meaningful work I can think of. That's why I chose it. That's why I, you know, Went through the scariness of leaving a stable income and learned how to start making friggin', you know, Instagram reels and all the things like this podcast, like all the things that like I used to think like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a marketer, you know, like I just want to coach people, but I've turned out to absolutely love it. All of it, you know, um, but that was the most meaningful work that I had experienced is just that oh man, the presence of the third force or God or the Holy spirit, like whatever you want to call it. When you are with one-on-one with another person, you see the lights come on in their eyes and you see them experience a breakthrough, um, just by you being a mirror for them and being a presence for them. Like that is so meaningful to me. And that to me is what makes the world a better place by using my gifts and my time and my talents. And that's what I wanted to do right? And so th- certainly that is meaningful work, but you know what else is meaningful work to me is taking my daughter to the urgent care at 8am on a Wednesday and having the space on my calendar and not having to freak out and be like, Oh my God, I need to call in or I need to, you know, whatever it is. Like, even if I did have to do, to do any of those things? I still would have probably looked back and been like that. That was meaningful to me. I felt like a really good mom. I was with her. I, you know, I helped her. We talked through everything that the doctor was going to do. I helped to alleviate her fears, you know, and I, I took care of her physical needs, you know, and that's meaningful work and activity. And I didn't actually realize that it was meaningful in the moment. I only realized that it was meaningful in my gratitude practice. And so I really encourage you guys to have a gratitude practice where you at least review the last 24 hours and kind of look for those moments of meaning, because that brings pleasure to you. You, um, it, It's in the past, right? But you're experiencing it in the moment or you're re-experiencing it in the moment because of how you're assigning meaning to it in this moment. And there's really no such thing as the past. There's only ever the eternal now. And you know, it, it's kind of a, a trippy thing to think about, right? That there's kind of no such thing as time. Of course, that became very, very real to me. <laughs> My first experience with psychedelics was the first time I truly experienced feeling like outside of time. And that was a total mindset shift. Um, but coming back from that, I'm so, so aware of that. I try to, I try to be so aware of that every day that, you know, there's really no such thing as time. It's only ever the eternal now. So when I'm thinking about the past, I'm in the now, right? I'm, I'm experiencing gratitude right now for my past, or I'm re-experiencing a negative emotion if that's where I'm choosing to go from my past, but I'm not in the past. I'm in the now, right? And I'm the one that controls the, the present moment, how I'm choosing to focus on my present moment. And you can do the same thing with the future, right? You, There really is no such thing as the future because by the time you get to the future, it's now, <laughs> and it's only ever the eternal now. So, This is kind of falls under the umbrella of like you're the one assigning the meaning, right? So, meaningful worker activity brings pleasure and allows you to actually say, you know what? I really like my life. I really like that I got to take my daughter to the doctor. I really like the work that I do. I really like that I get to, um, you know, spend time with my friends and listen to them. And I really like that I get to help other people try to start their businesses in like, um, a a spiritually aligned way. And like, you know, all the things that I actually like about my life is because I'm taking the time to say, I like it. I liked that. That's from my gratitude practice. So number four is inspiration and creativity. This is its own type of pleasure, inspiration and creativity. And I know so many people are probably thinking, well, I'm not creative. And I used to think the same thing, right? Like, because, well, and it's funny because as a kid, man, I loved like art. Arts and crafts was like my favorite thing, like making jewelry, any kind of artistic medium. I loved doing that. Um, And music I loved as a kid too. I sang in the choir. I learned to play piano when I was a kid, all these things that kind of were artistic, but I really got myself out of touch with maybe what some people would call um, feminine energy. Um, And I learned, you know, I really wanted to be productive and I wanted to be a high achiever because this is where I would get a lot of um, praise and external approval. And I didn't get a lot of that um, growing up. And so it was something that I really became hyper-focused on. And I learned that the most effective and efficient way to do that was to be super productive and to be a high achiever, right? And, you know, my academics um, we a lot more solid than, you know, my art (laughs) or whatever it might be. And so I just started to say things like, Oh, I'm just not creative. You know, that's not how my brain works. I'm not really left brain or, you know, right brain, blah, 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 blah. All these, all these little crazy things that we tell ourselves. Right. Um, but inspiration and creativity is so much bigger than like artwork or music. It's ideas, movements, words, um, and music certainly, but anything that that flows through you. Um, problem solving is just as creative as making art. And I spent years of my life being like a freaking fantastic problem solver in like the corporate world, right? And that is so creative. Bringing together different ideas is creative. Like that's how new businesses get started. Like Oh, what if we took this from this realm and we and we paired it together with this from this other realm and now we have this like whole new realm. Like that's creation. Like there's really no such thing as creating anything new under the sun. It's just kind of synergizing them in different ways, right? So, inspiration and creativity is its own form of pleasure. And part of this is that you kind of get into this flow state you know, you're just having like this amazing conversation with somebody and talking about ideas. I could do this all day. Right. And it's one of my favorite things to do is talk about new ideas and learn new things. And so I feel so inspired when I learn something new and a lot of people wouldn't think that that's creative, but it is, it's very creative because the more that I learn, the more that I can create, right? Like everything that I'm talking to you about on this podcast today, I'm creating right now. I'm being creative right now just by talking about Things that I've learned about how to be happier, right? And a lot of people might be like, oh, that's not creative because that's not like art or music. So, so what? It's very creative. I'm creating something for you right now. And you hopefully, you know, are enjoying it and getting a lot out of it <laughs> and being inspired by it because I was inspired to make it. So, don't limit yourself in terms of what is considered inspiration or creativity like think about when do you lose track of time when do you get yourself into a flow state where hours pass by and it could, for you it could totally be it could be an excel spreadsheet that does that for you i totally would get lost for hours in an excel spreadsheet and love it you know and that's creative too so that is its own type of pleasure is inspiration and creativity and then the last one that i want to talk about i'm going to call it pure being and, you know, because I, th- I know that not everybody that uh, listens in may be um, uh, spiritual or religious or whatever, right? But there, it's, it's this moment of just pure being, not doing, just being, and it's connecting with your own spirit or connecting with God. If you believe in God as spirit or the divine, it's where you feel connected, to something bigger than yourself. And you were just purely uh, being yourself in that moment. And in fact, you even lose your sense of self. And this sense of separateness kind of dissolves. Your sense of ego, not like ego, like, oh, I'm so prideful type of ego, but just your sense of who you are um, and how you're separated from other people really just dissolves in these moments of pure being. And uh, we definitely can't be like this all the time, right? It's, it's very hard to do uh, and unrealistic. It's more like a peak experience, right? And you don't live up at the peak of the mountain, you know, you live at base camp and you visit the peak of the mountain, right? But it's so important to get these peak moments in your life, these moments of pure being. And what it really takes for this is a moment of surrender, And again, you know, if you don't feel that sense of safety, it's going to be very, very difficult to do that. But a lot of people connect with it in a lot of different ways. Um, Again, it's where you kind of lose the sense of self. And, you know, I experienced this, um, you know, on my psychedelic (laughs) experience um, where you, you lose your sense of self. I really felt like I dipped into the infinite and that I was infinite and that I was connected to everything that I was, never more connected to God. I've never felt more connected, even though I've believed in God my whole life, like I felt one with God and one with everything and everyone. And, and separation was a lie. It was an illusion and, um, criticizing others or judging others or shame or fear. All of these things were just like big cosmic jokes, right? And it was the most amazing, blissful, joyful, pleasurable experience of my life. But again, it's not to say that I had never experienced something like that before definitely had experienced moments of this you know but this was like you know a really <laughs> extended experience of a peak moment um but i was trying to think like when have i experienced these moments of pure being and you know i was brought up christian and attended church and we would have moments like l- long periods of time um in the type of uh, church environment that i grew up in where there would be like what we would call worship music. And you would just be taking time to connect with God and you could sing, you could be quiet. A lot of times I would just find myself with my eyes closed with my hand on my heart, crying, um, feel like just feeling connected with God. And so certainly I had these moments of these peak experiences that I got so much meaning and so much pleasure out of many times when I was a, a little girl and as a teenager and as a young adult, um, Other times, you know, I'm just going to say sex, you know, like, and not, uh, just, you know, any kind of sex, but sex that you find meaningful with someone that you love, right? Like these were the only moments for me of when the voice in my head would turn off when I was having a spiritual experience, um, sex, meditation, um, which I derive as a spiritual experience. And the, the only other thing I could think of was childbirth, quite honestly, um, because that was a true moment of surrender where, um, you know, you just literally, it takes everything you have and you are fully present because you can't be with anything else. You are just fully present in that moment. And it is the most beautiful and incredible experience. I'm sure other mothers, you know, are hearing me right now and you're, it, there's nothing to explain it. It's like nothing else in the world exists except you in that hospital room. And that's it. That's the whole thing in the entire world. And then they put that baby on your chest and you see your child for the first time. It's just the most beautiful feeling. Oh, so that's what you look like. (laughs) I have loved you before I even met you. You know, like this beautiful, deeply meaningful, pure being moment, their pure being and your pure being. And you know these are the moments that i could think of before even having you know my psychedelic experience but these are the peak pure being moments and we can experience this more often right and i i have experienced this more often since i've returned home because i've been able to access this state more often i can now sit in nature nature is a big connection for me now um because I was in nature during my first um, ceremony. And I can, it kind of, um, it's like a cue for me now. Like I can look at the trees and I can remember how the trees looked during my experience. And I can put my hand on my heart and I, I call it coming home to myself. And I can hear my own breath and just know that I am all there is, you know, that, that this is, that I've made this uh, world for myself through my consciousness, and I'm so grateful for it. And you know, you can feel this way in a lot of different ways. I think we all have different pathways for this. Some people feel these moments of pure being where your sense of separateness dissolves when you're learning, other people feel it when they're helping or caregiving, um, get, showing hospitality to other people. Some people experience it in activism um, or social justice. Some people experience it through mystery or ritual or symbolic experiences, whether that is like a religious um, ritual experience or just your own spiritual experience, like with crystals or Reiki or, you know, whatever it is that you're into, meditation, um, you know, breath work, anything, like any kind of mysterious experience that you might be having, like, you you might be experiencing moments of pure being and and do it, do it more often, right? For other people, it's just solitude, just you closing your eyes, doing nothing for 10 minutes, you know? Like it doesn't even have to be like, oh, I'm practicing such and such, such and such type of meditation. Like, no, just just sit there by yourself for however long you want and come home to yourself, you know? Um, And other people, I think, experience it through their physical senses. So some of the stuff that we've talked about, like the sensual physical pleasure, like I, I can guarantee there's people that experience these moments of pure being through that. And I think we all just have a different pathway of connection. And that's great because there's room for diversity. So these are the five different ways. I'm sure there are so many more, but these are the ones that I could think of. The five different ways to experience pleasure. And again, why are we doing that? Why am I talking about this? right? Um, And how does this connect with food and weight loss and all of this, right? So remember that food is a fantastic source of pleasure. And I really encourage you to be more fully present with it when you are getting pleasure from food. And also if food is your only source of pleasure, man, that's going to get in the way. of you losing weight, isn't it? I mean, that only is like the logical conclusion because you need pleasure in your life. And if food is your only source of pleasure, you're probably going to eat more than is going to um, allow you to be able to lose weight the way that you want to lose weight. And you're going to get a different type of pleasure from your experience of losing weight. And so it's, it's inhibiting your pleasure in the long run, in the long run. So... The good news is that you don't have to have any lack of pleasure in your life. It's simply you exploring different modalities of pleasure. There's so much abundant pleasure available to you. And not only is it allowed, it is required. So please, please receive that today. Not only do you have permission, but it is a prescription right now. I'm writing you a prescription for more pleasure in your life. What um, what, is, where are you going to pick this up from? What, what are you actually going to be taking in? That's up to you, but I'm writing you a prescription for more pleasure. And I want you to go literally make a list of all the things. Start with these five categories, sensual and physical pleasure, intimacy and relationships, meaningful worker activity, inspiration and creativity, and pure being, and make a list of activities and moments. And then I want you to add more of it to your life not just by scheduling more time for it in your calendar, but by bringing your full attention and presence to it when you are experiencing it. And then you can re-experience it through a gratitude practice, right? And also just another really quick tip is when you are noticing that you're in a moment of pleasure, that you could have some type of physical um, way to kind of denote that. And, you know, I don't know if you have any other, uh, we have any other uh, fans of the office out there, but one of my favorite episodes is where Jim and Pam get married and it's their wedding day. And somebody gives them the advice of like, Oh, it's going to fly by so fast. Make sure you take lots of, um, pictures, right. Or I don't know if they said pictures or mental pictures, but Jim and Pam started doing this thing where they make like, um, um, a notion, uh, um, motion with their hands as though they're taking a picture with a camera. Right. And of course, nowadays we take pictures with our phones. (laughs) That looks much different than this, but it's like holding an old school Kodak where you're like holding it with your hands and then you press the button at the top. And so borrow that, you know, like when you're experiencing a moment of pleasure and you want to expand that moment or you want, you know, you want to remember it and recall it later. Your kid says something hilarious. Take your hand out and go click You know, and, and tell your partner about this or tell your best friend or your roommate or whoever you live with and you guys can do it together. And it's a way to really try to amplify the pleasure in your life simply by paying more attention to it, bringing your full presence into that moment together and talking about it. So make your list and then think about ways that you can not only, you know, again, schedule more actual time for it, but also ways that you can expand time by being fully present with it. Guys, thank you so much for listening in today. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you a couple of other ways that you can um, get some great resources and continue um, to work with me. I have multiple different levels and ways that you can do that. Um, so I have a monthly mindset class, and this class is about self-compassion. So um, healing your relationship with food and weight and body image starts not just with self-awareness, but self-compassion, because you're never going to transform um, in the long run out of um, fear or self judgment or whatever. It's only out of love for yourself. So you can get details on that class at bit.ly slash self care keto class. And the link is in the show notes. And then also I am accepting new one-on-one clients and I would love to work with you. So if you're interested in learning more about my eight week new client coaching package, you can head on over to my website, the And I would love to schedule a completely free curiosity call with you. And we can talk about really implementing all of these things, right? It's so holistic, right? Healing your relationship with food and weight and body image, you know, again, go back and listen to episode 118 about the five ways to heal your relationship with food. And you'll get a really great idea of exactly the type of work that we do together. So I would love to be a part of your journey. Again, remember it's theketofit.com. I'll be back with you guys again next week. Take care.